Hello there, and welcome to the Big Boss Book Club. Thank you for listening to the Big Boss Book Club. You can follow us on Instagram at Big Boss Book Club, Twitter at Big Boss 010, and on Facebook at Big Boss Book Club. Uh, you can support the show by giving us a follow on any of those social media platforms, uh, a review on any of the platforms that the podcast is available, such as uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and, and Google Podcasts, as an example. You can also subscribe to the show on any of those platforms as well, so you get the show sent straight to you on its release. Um, our link tree is also available on our Instagram and Twitter accounts. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it, and enjoy the rest of the show. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Big Boss Book Club. Thank you so much for joining me. So this week we are looking at the uh, classic uh, WWF pay-per-view, Backlash from 2001. Um, This pay-per-view has a a big place for me because it's got... The main event essentially is probably one of my... In terms of of superstars who are in it, probably one of my favourite main events probably ever. Um, So essentially the main event is a tag team title and WWF slash IC title match which has the Brothers of Destruction, The Undertaker and Kane, taking on the two-man power trip of Triple H and Stone Cold Steve Austin. So, without a doubt, two of my favourite teams, probably of all time, slightly more in in favour of two-man power trip, going at it for, for all the, the titles. The, you can't really... I mean, the fact that this was a backlash pay-per-view... This this was probably the main event you could have slapped on any of the big four. Not necessarily Mania, but definitely Survivor Series, SummerSlam, or even the Royal Rumble. Easily could have been the main event. So, but to put it the month after WrestleMania was was nuts, and I think goes to show the, the quality of the, the talent that they had then. Um, I think I did mention in a previous episode of the show that I'd never really seen, never really seen Stone Cold until his return in SummerSlam 2000. I'd never really, because 2000 was really where I came into it, so I'd never seen the sort of rise of the Attitude Era. I was coming in at the end with when WCW was pretty much beaten and and Austin was sort of out with a with a neck injury. So when he came back, obviously I got the chance to see him, um, and of course his his music at the time was probably well, they are my all time favorite band was performed by Disturbed. Uh, also, when I played WWF slash WWE Raw Deal, my, my favourite deck was my two-man power trip deck. It was the, the deck that I f- really dived into in terms of deck construction. Um, being able to pack all the foil Triple H and Austin cards was, was awesome. Of course, that then resulted in a lot of cards getting a, uh, a little editor when they were reprinted in foil in Survivor Series 3 that said, can't be packed by two-man power trip. <laughs> um but that's another story. Uh, but again, the the team two man power trip it just combined two legit sort of tough guys who were just really vicious and, and merciless when they were attacking people. Um, to put a bit of a backstory on it, Stone Cold we get to the Royal Rumble two thousand one. He wins. He eliminates Kane to to take home the the prize. Challenges The Rock for the world title at WrestleMania. During the match, Stone Cold and Vince McMahon comes out. Everybody thinks he's there to try and stop Stone Cold or maybe we're going to get another rock heel turn. But actually it flips on its head and 
and Austin actually teams with McMahon and, and they batter the rock and, and he takes the, the gold after about it's about 17, 18 chair shots to the rock. It's absolutely like I remember sitting and watching it and being like, Oh my god, I thought this was supposed to be like the ultimate good guy, but actually he's just turned uh, turned heel. Um the next night we then get a rematch in a cage, which obviously doesn't go too well for The Rock. Um, McMahon and Austin are in the ring, they're double team in The Rock, and then Triple H comes out, and everyone thinks Triple H and Austin. This is where it's going to go. Uh, this is where it's going to go wrong. And then, of course, Triple H sides with Austin, and and so forms the the two man power trip, which is absolutely nuts considering that Triple H had literally the month before had a match with Stone Cold because he'd orchestrated the plan to in, in yeah, speech quotes run Stone Cold over um, so yeah it, it's absolutely nuts that they suddenly decided you know what we're going to team up but there you go um, the following week you get Stone Cold and, and uh, Triple H just running absolute run, rough shot over everybody Um they, Triple H wins the Intercontinental title from Chris Jericho. Stone Cold attacks Jim Ross, um, which of course Austin is supposed to be Jim Ross's best friend. So everyone's like, "Oh my God, what's going on?" Then Stone Cold and Triple H have a few weeks where they're pretty much just feuding with the Hardy Boys. Plenty of opportunities where they're just literally, and I mean literally, destroying <laughs> the Hardys with chairs and and then Lita as well. Um, I do recall what I can only describe as an awesome Marilyn Manson-backed um, promo video with a fight song by Marilyn Manson playing, and it's just Austin and Triple H just battering people. And it just, even now in my brain, it's still something I can remember quite vividly. It just really grabbed me at the time. Of course, these things don't last. You've got to have somebody step up to the to the big bad bad guys and, and take it to them. And that, of course, was the Brothers of Destruction, who Undertaker and Kane. So they then get into it. Um, there's a the feud joining there where they defeat Edge and Christian for the tag team titles. And that, of course, sets up for this unique opportunity where you can have all the gold on the line in one match and that brings us to backlash 2001 so absolutely um again probably one of my favorite pay-per-views maybe ever like in, in terms of the main event anyway i mean the actual show itself was on the 29th of april 2001 so it's well over well over 20 years now since that pay-per-view uh um, took place so yeah, it, it to have such vivid memories of it, especially that main event, is is I think still quite phenomenal, to be quite frank. So what we're gonna do is we'll go for a break, we'll come back, we'll just run through the matches that are on the card and just a quick run through of the setup for the show and then we'll have another break, we'll go through a couple of the matches, have another quick break go for a few more of the matches and we'll, then we'll come back and have some uh, final thoughts at the end. So uh, we'll go for a quick break now, we'll come back and we'll go through the, uh, the card for the actual pay-per-view. Welcome back. Okay, so the pay-per-view itself uh, was actually nine matches, but I'm not... I haven't watched the, the pre-show, which was, of course, back in the day, Sunday Night Heat... 
I've not watched that, so we've just got the seven matches that were on the actual main card. So the first match is the X Factor, which is X Pack, Just Incredible, and Albert versus the Dudley Boys with Spike. Um, match two was Rhino versus Raven for the hardcore title. We then got William Regal versus Chris Jericho in a Duchess of Queensbury Rules match. Um, we then got Kurt Angle versus um, someone, I forget his name, in a 30-minute Ultimate Submission match. We have Shane McMahon taking on The Big Show in a Last Man Standing match. Matt Hardy versus Christian versus Eddie Guerrero. Triple threat for the European title. Do you remember that? The European title. And then finally in the main event, we had the two-man power trip of Steve Austin and Triple H taking on um, the Brothers of Destruction, which was the Undertaker and Kane. So, yeah, skipping the Sunday Night Heat show, um, I think the seven-match main show is pretty stacked. Um, the video, the sort of promo video at the beginning of the show is, is so cool. Going about the no power, no gold, and then it's no gold, no power, and, and it's talking about the belts. And, and oh, I think the, the way it's done visually is very good. 2001, I mean, you're talking fresh off the, the proverbial Monday Night Wars, WWE Creative was still pretty much on fire, um, Paul Heyman and, and JR on commentary, just selling the hell out of this match, just, yeah, well the main event anyway, um, yeah, so, <laughs> it's such a good show, so that's it for the uh, the match list, we'll go for quick another quick musical interlude we'll come back in and we'll go through so we've got seven matches so if we go through the first four and then the last three because the main event probably gets a little bit more standing than everything else so we'll go through the first four matches have another break come back go through the last three matches and then we'll uh, we'll get some final thoughts in before we uh, we get out of here so uh, um be right back Okay, so as I said, match number one, the X Factor versus the Dudley Boys. Um, one thing I did notice straight away was Teddy Long was the referee. So, you know, holla holla. Um, I remember back in the day, I used to rip the hell out of X Factor. I was never really a fan of X Pac, Just Incredible, or Albert, to be quite honest. Loved the Dudley Boys. I still do love the Dudley Boys now. Um, match kicked right off, no messing around. Dudley Boys get in, big aggressors. Of course, it, it has to then go to the heels, so X-Factor get control, and it builds up to a pretty big hot tag to, to Bubba, um, a little bit of cheating tactics, double super kick to poor old Bubba Ray leads to X-Factor uh, picking up the big W here. Um, of course, then, we've got to send the crowd home happy, um, not happy with the with the win, the X-Factor go on for their uh, after-the-match assault, Unfortunately, that doesn't pan out as Devon and, and Spike intervene, and X Pac gets 3D'd through a table for his troubles. <laughs> um, actually, you know what? I I think I said this in maybe the Armageddon 2003 episode. It's funny watching some of these matches and how you look back at them, and actually how they've they've aged quite well. Like almost like I appreciate them maybe a little bit more now than I did when they initially were shown. And I'd say this match falls into that. I think I enjoyed it, re-watching it a lot more than I maybe did originally, when the original pay-per-view was shown. 
but I think that's because I really didn't like X Factor. Loved their entrance music. I thought their entrance music was awesome, but really didn't like them as a as a team. Wasn't a fan of anybody in it. Um, so that's really sort of match one. Pretty pretty good opener. Good way to get the crowd pumped. Pumped, yeah, pumped for the for the rest of the show. Uh, we will go into the backstage skits. We'll just go over them slightly. Uh, backstage, it's William Regal welcoming the Duchess of Queensbury. Um, calls her ravishing, which is hilarious. Um, we, we then go to Kurt Angle being interviewed by Lillian Garcia, just talking about his match. Um, I can't remember his opponent's name. Uh, later on in the show, which is the 30-minute Ultimate Submission match. Uh, we jump straight into match two, which is Rhino versus Raven. A hardcore title. Rhino's our champion. I mean, if you're talking about hardcore, you, you probably are talking about these two guys. These were two of the biggest names from, from ECW. Um, they both work a little bit snug in this match. You can kind of see like a, they're a bit, yeah, a bit heavy-handed maybe. Um, what's really funny is, and I noted it, that commentary, especially, um, uh, especially Paul Heyman, had Rhino down as this big-time weapons guy like Raven. Raven, you knew, would have the shopping trolley and have all the trash cans and kendo sticks and all that type of stuff. But they're kind of pushing Rhino as that type of wrestler as well. Now, I've been re-watching a lot of the old ECW TV that's on the WWE Network. I'm pretty certain Rhino doesn't fall into that. I'm pretty certain Rhino is more of a... He'll use it if it's there, but he's not going to actively go and get it. He's generally just going to beat the hell out of you. So that was a little bit confusing, especially coming from Paul Heyman. Unless, of course, that changes, because I'm still not all the way through it. I know it was only like a year's worth of programming, but I'm, I'm still not all the way through it yet. So maybe that changes down the line, and, and Rhino does start incorporating more weapons into his matches. But where I am at the minute, that doesn't feel like the case. Uh, good bit where Rhino tries to go Raven, goes straight into a shopping trolley. <laughs> Absolutely hilarious. Um... You think, okay, that's it, Raven's going to get the win here, but actually Rhino brings it back, hits the gore, standard, gets the uh, gets the big W. Um, I would say that this falls quite nicely into sort of an ECW style of match. They always make a big deal about weapons being used and how they're always hitting each other with weapons. But something I've always found when I've watched a lot of ECW TV is that it's not necessarily always hitting the opponent with weapons. Prime example in this match is Rhino. Rhino sets up a chair and runs up it and jumps off onto Raven. Where that's that's more like a lot of stuff that used to happen in ECW. They'd be like, oh my god, he, he brought a chair in. But actually all he's done with the chair is used it as like a step. Not necessarily used it to hit his opponent. Maybe used it to give himself a bit of momentum. Or sometimes they drop toehold them into him. So they're not actually hitting them directly. It's... It's sort of a bit as more of a consequence as the action, um, but yeah, pretty pretty solid uh, hardcore title match. Pretty standard. Didn't get any randomers running in, which is quite unusual. Usually, when you see these sort of hardcore title matches, you end up and basically just ends up being a massive free for all with about fifteen people in the ring. But <laughs> didn't happen in this instance. They just kept it as Raven and Rhino. So um, fair play to them. So, backstage again, promo clip for Shane and Mac versus Big Show. We've got Michael Cole, the pre-announcer commentator Michael Cole with uh, Shane O'Mac in the back. 
Um, we get a, a quick cameo from our pre-op Stephanie McMahon. And then we sort of go to see Stone Cold arriving, standard sort of heel stuff. Uh, then we flip back. There's a lot of backstage stuff in this early part of the show. Uh, the coach is in the back with uh, the, trying to interview the Duchess of Queensbury. Regal tells him to, to do one, gets him out of there, which actually leads us into, um, quite nicely, into match number three, which is William Regal versus Chris Jericho in a uh, Duchess of Queensbury rules match. <laughs> oh my God, just thinking about this match is making me laugh. Um, it was nuts. The match is nuts. It, it even They even made it clear that the ref didn't know what the rules were <laughs> so the referee was just in there and he didn't know really what he was doing but I mean if if you need two guys to make a match like this work you're probably doing it right with Jericho and Regal um, both like really experienced both very good at what they do I mean Jericho is still going now so you know and this is 20 years after the fact on the way out, Jericho gets on the mic, straight up rips into the Duchess and uh, William Regal. So, yeah, it's standard Jericho uh, ribbing, which is great. Crowd love it, get really into it. Um, but Jericho still doesn't know how to win the match. <laughs> um, what I did like about this match was it, it does a, a good technical style of opening. So they're both doing sort of very... You know, sort of move transitional wrestling, going from like one position, one move to the next. V looks very good. This match, they're both well, not necessarily Jericho at this point, but definitely Regal's known for that type of wrestling. But Jericho was well versed in that type of wrestling as well, not only from WCW but ECW and even working in Japan. So he's used to it. So I don't think people were really expecting it. Um. The match continues. Um, Jericho hits the lion salt, goes for the pin, but as we think the uh, the match is over, the Duchess then decides to exclaim that uh, round one the timing has expired. So unfortunately, the pin doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, this match! Um, later on, we we continue with the match uh, in round two, which doesn't appear to have a time limit. Uh, Y2J hits the walls. Jericho makes Regal tap. But of course, the Duchess then uh, proclaims that the win can't be by submission. So, <laughs> oh goodness. Uh, Regal hits uh, Y2J with a scepter, which causes a DQ. But then, of course, it's uh, proclaimed that the, there's no DQs in this match either. So the only way to win, essentially, is via pinfall in the second round. <laughs> which doesn't have a time limit, <laughs> apparently. Um, but I suppose the good thing about this was... As the match evolved and you learned more about the rules, Jericho was able to play into that. So, you know, he was then low-blowing Regal. And, you know, he was playing... He was doing the, the dastardly tactics because he could get away with it because there was no DQ. Um, unless, of course, they went to... A, they could have gone to a round three, I guess, and DQ'd him. I don't know. Weird, but... And there's a funny bit where Regal goes headfirst into Duchess's lap and... And it's this, oh, big shock. And Regal's face is... William Regal's always been able to do one thing really well. Like, well, not the only thing, but that one thing that 
I think people will probably remember Regal for his facial expressions. He just he sells everything with his face, like he just looks like like he goes headfirst into her lap. He stands up, he's got his hands up in the air and he just looks like somebody shot his dog. Like, he just looks absolutely, like, gobsmacked. It's, it's so funny. Um, Regal then, of course, comes back swinging uh, with a chair. Um, the uh, Jericho tries to put the Duchess into the walls of Jericho and, you know, thank God that Regal was there to save her because, I mean... <laughs> there's no reason for him to be attacking the Duchess like that and no need for it at all and Jericho got what he deserved when Regal absolutely levels him with a chair um, and lets Regal get the uh, the well-earned pinfall I think well, well-earned, uh, well-fought match <laughs> uh, the match is wonderful, the match is phenomenal actually do you know what, I think that's aged probably better than pretty much every other match on this show including the main event um it's still comedic, it's still hilarious, it still fits in all the wrestling nuance that you're looking for. Um, and you've got two guys who are just phenomenal at what they do in there. And you know, and to be quite frank, I, I said this to, to the my mates when in our wrestling group chat. Um, just you know, I know it's twenty years ago, she probably doesn't look like that anymore, but the Duchess, you know, she was alright. <laughs> um, after the match we skip to backstage again sorry uh, Vince is just meeting with the big show it's general you're going to destroy my son yes very ev- evil Vince McMahon versus evil big show standard standard fare really now match four Kurt Angle versus oh, I can't remember his name in a 30 minute ultimate submission match Okay, it's Chris Benoit. <laughs> There's only so long you can not name a guy for. Without a doubt, two of the best wrestlers, and we use the term wrestler in, in WWE history, they had nothing but fire in terms of matches against each other. And even when they teamed up in 2002 for their brief stint with the tag belts, they just rocked. They just, they just worked so well together. They've, I don't... You couldn't have put them in a match where it would suck. It was just, it was just impossible. Um, Kurt Angle comes out first. And we get an absolute textbook heel promo. Like it, it's, it's Jericho from WCW pro, heel promo. He just comes out and just slams because they're in Chicago. Just absolutely slams it. The, the, you know. Bulls suck, you all suck, this town sucks, you're all losers, you're all fat, and just anything he can say to get the cheapest possible heat, he says. <laughs> um, which of course leads to his uh, unnamed opponent um, coming out and the 30 minute timer getting started and we, we get going with the match. I, w- I, w- I will say, regardless of how it ended, for for Benoit, I think when you're looking back at some of these matches, you just can't help but admire the actual body of work that he had before he went nuts. Um, because let's face it, that that's probably what happened here. This match is a prime example of that. It's 
30 plus minutes of just Angle and Benoit just doing what they do. Very similar to the Regal-Jericho um, match. Don't think it would have worked with these pair. These pair needed to have that ultimate submission match. I don't think they necessarily could have cracked a 60-minute Ironman. But the 30-minute ultimate submission feels very right. Um, yeah. I mean, Angle gets the first fall with a, a cracking leg, knee lock type thing. So it starts off 1-0 to Angle. Benoit then later catches him with an armbar, goes to 1-1. One, one. They keep giving them the 30 seconds between each round fall, which I think is quite nice. We do get a sneaky chair shot in because they do build the match up. It starts off very, very technical, very similar to the Jericho-Regal match. Very transitional, very good lock-for-lock, hold-for-hold wrestling. And then slowly you start getting more and more in the match. There's more incorporated. We get a nice sneaky chair shot from Kurt Angle. Goes in for the ankle lock, gets his second fall, 2-1 to Angle. 19 minutes left on the clock at this point, so we've already had a good bulk of the match. It's 2-1, which is... I mean, it's not Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart? It went one... Michaels got the, like, the last fall in, like... Yeah, great. Um, Angle goes straight to work. As soon as the, uh, the next round starts, puts... Puts Benoit in his own finish, the cross face, and gets a third fall. So it's 3-1 at this stage to angle. I do like it when wrestlers use their opponent's moves. I find it's such a heel thing to do. It's not always done by heels. But I always find it just a very bad guy thing to do. Because it's kind of like, it's like, oh, you can't use their move. And it's just, it's classic. On pretty much any time it's been an option on a creator wrestler I've made I've always given myself the steal your opponent's finisher like ability because I always like the idea of just you know if you hit your opponent's finish you're like the bad guy do you know what I mean faces do it as well but nowhere near in the same capacity that like bad guys will do it for example um Benoit does make a nice comeback with a half crab or Canadian maple leaf if you're uh a Lance Storm fan, and gets himself a second fall, so it's 3-2 at this stage. We get two minutes left on the clock. Um, Benoit scores an ankle lock <laughs> to make it 3-3, which is obviously hilarious because um, Angle gets his third fall with a, a cross face, so there's something quite nice that Benoit gets his third fall with the ankle lock. Now, Angle does get in a cheeky low blow again, Good to see that heel stuff coming in and, and the, it not just being a technical match because, with all due respect, they're boring as hell. Um, the ref gets the uh, uh, the decision to go to sudden sudden death because the, the bell rings and there's, we're on 3-3. Three, three. Going for 30 minutes and then going again, I think it just goes to show how good these two guys were uh, in what they do. It, yeah, such a good match. Like I said, it, it, it hasn't aged badly. It, it's, I know me and Martin spoke about it, where you look at a match and go, ooh, that hasn't aged well. But again, this is a match that, I think it's one of the reasons why I like this pay-per-view. There's so many matches on it where you actually go, actually, that hasn't aged that badly. Um, Benoit essentially rolls Angle into a crossface, makes it 4-3 to Benoit. Again, cracking match. 
I appreciate that it's 20 years down the line and I think I like this match more than I ever did then. Um, like I said, it just brought the heat all the way through from, and it was such a good build. It just progresses so well. The whole match just kind of flowed. It didn't feel like it ever really stopped. But, yeah, just great. Um, we get to the backstage again. And, of course, it's uh, we see the uh, Brothers of Destruction chatting away. You don't really know what they say and what they're talking about. Essentially, Triple H and Steph are watching it on the monitor. They start chatting about beating the Brothers of Destruction for the belts, how Shane McMahon's going to get beaten by the Big Show, etc. So then that actually leads us into our next match, which is Shane O'Mac versus The Big Show. Um, that is actually match five. So what we will do is we'll just have another quick musical interlude um, away from me yapping on. And uh, we'll come back and we'll get into the final three uh, three, yeah, three yeah, matches of the, <laughs> of the show. Uh, we'll be right back. Okay, so part two of the uh, the show, we'll start off with uh, match number five, which is Shane O'Mac versus The Big Show in a last man standing match. Uh, the match was essentially built on the back of Shane, in speech quotes, buying WCW. Um, Shane then went on sort of like a mini recruitment drive, trying to sort of lure people from the evil Vince McMahon to, uh, to WCW. Uh, obviously went to his friend again in... in Speech part, speech quotes, uh, the Big Show. Unfortunately, the Big Show then decided, of course, in traditional uh, Big Show style, to turn heel and decided to side with uh, Vince over Shane. I think this was a pretty clear cut in terms of the build. It, it's sort of a very standard kind of Shane match. Um, him, sort of the David versus Goliath, was always kind of what what he did. There was a couple of exceptions, but, but generally this was his sort of style of match. It was also pretty much written that, that Test was going to come and help him. Uh, Shane had come out to help Test when he was taking on the big show and yeah, it all kind of it was all kind of signposted what was what was happening. Um the match itself starts off generally how you'd expect. Uh, Shane O'Mac using the sort of speed, the the what I call the kendo stick, spe- the kendo stick special, uh, to kick off where he's just whacking show. Um, then gets a chair and starts whacking him with a chair. I mean, he even tries to chloroform the guy. I mean, yeah. Um, actual uh, fun little fact: it only actually takes a couple of seconds if you inhale chloroform to get knocked out. If you're subjected to it for actually a, a lengthy period, um, it will just kill you. <laughs> so when you see a lot of these people in like film and, and TV, and they're like they've got the, the rag over their mouth, and it's there for like five minutes, that would probably have killed them. Um, it only takes a few seconds to to knock them out. Vinnie Mac comes down to get involved in the match, which. Pretty much again was signposted. We we saw Vince and, and Big Show earlier in the show talking about how he's going to destroy Shane and, and all this. So yeah, it's kind of it's kind of there. Um, I think one of the things to note about this match was Big Show just doesn't look good. He doesn't look like he's. It just doesn't look like he cares. The you can always kind of tell when Big Show's into what he's doing. 
a prime example is like um, when he comes back after taking that sort of leave of absence from the ECW. He comes back. He's so much leaner. He's he's bald. He's doing the boxing stuff. He just looks on it. Well, later down the line, he teams with Jericho as part of Jericho. You can tell he's into what he's doing. This match is a prime example of Big Show not caring about what he's doing. And he doesn't look great. He he just looks really sort of deflated. And, and yeah, I, th- I think it kind of shows in this match. One thing I did like about this was this was a sort of period of time when he was using the final cut as a finisher, which I, I really like. And then it just kind of made me think how many finishes has Big Show actually had? So he's had the knockout punch, the choke slam, the final cut, he did the Cobra Clutch backbreaker for a while, the alley oop, and he even did the F five for a minute. I think he did for like a, a few few weeks he was doing the F five. He's had a lot of finishes. <laughs> the big show. Um back to the match, as expected, test runs interference help Shane um, kind of distract the show while while Shane is recovering eventually sort of Shane in standard Shane Manor is climbing up the staging standard did the same thing to Steve Blackman the year before uh, Tess comes and obviously keeps helping tackle the big show they set him up on the staging area Shane jumps off from the, from the sort of um, the actual main staging onto this little side bit completely misses Big Show. You can even see on the replay, they're like, oh my god, on the replay, but he clearly misses him. Um, but yeah, it's enough to, to keep Big Show down. Test drags Shane up, hoists him onto like a camera setup, and uses that to uh, to keep him on his feet for the 10 count. So Shane McMahon wins. This is pretty, like I said, it's pretty much cut and paste uh, Shane McMahon. A, the David versus Goliath matches, he has always ended up with like interference of some kind, especially back then during the Attitude Era, or even to the end, the end of the Attitude Era. Um, yeah, it, it, pretty standard. The one thing about this match is it does then progress further, and, and I think it's next, not next month, but the month after, we get the match with Kurt Angle, which is probably one of my favourite King of the Ring matches um, possibly ever. Like a really good, really good show in. Uh, yeah, so that's really it. Gets his shots in, um, gets the win. Standard David Goliath kind of encounter. Big Show does what he needs to, but again, he doesn't look overly, doesn't look overly into it, which is a bit of a shame. We go backstage again. <laughs> um, I think it's actually the last time we go backstage. Yeah, this is the last time we go backstage. So we've got Triple H, Steph, and Vince in the back, talking about how Vince's upset that Shane's won um, he declares Triple H to be his only son it's a bit bit weird uh, WWF New York we've got Steve Blackman it goes to show how old this, this show is A it's WWF New York and B it's Steve Blackman none of those things are <laughs> a young by any means um, then Grandmaster Sex A intervenes and tries to get Steve Blackman to, to be hip or something doesn't work uh, no Sky Too Hotty. Not quite sure what, why it was just Grandmaster Sexy there. It's very strange. 
But yeah, so wow, what a segment. <laughs> uh, match number six on the card is Matt Hardy versus Christian versus Eddie Guerrero and for the European Championship. I, I mean, do you remember when Matt Hardy was European Champion? Yeah, me neither. Uh, got Eddie and Christian, both the heels, so early on do their, their team up on poor old Matt. And of course that ends up just breaking down and they turn on each other anyway. I don't think this match was actually that long before Eddie got released, I think, because Eddie isn't really there for the invasion, and since the invasion's only maybe about a month or two away, I'm pretty certain it's not long before Eddie's put out to pasture at this point. Matt and Christian just kind of trying to break into the singles environment. Mm, again, it, it's what you'd kind of expect. Edge sneaks down and attacks Hardy to try and help Christian. Then Jeff comes out and attacks Edge and then attacks Christian to help Matt. Eddie doesn't really get a look in in terms of the final two. It's it's down to Hardy and Christian. Twist of fate on Christian gets Matt Hardy the pin. Considering thinking about where all these guys would actually end up in the spirit of maybe rankings in WWE. So like Christian obviously would become... You know, IC champion, tag team champion again, um, win the world title, have a great run with Randy Orton. Uh, Eddie Guerrero would come back after being fired, have a great run as IC champion, then he would go on to win the tag titles, then again go on to win the WWE title. Considering all the, the like, really, both these guys became immensely big. I, I'm never a big fan of the Hardy Boys. I was never really a fan of Edge and Christian. I think retrospectively they're okay, but I no, I was never a fan of, of the Hardy. I'm still not a fan of the Hardys now. Edge and Christian at the time were never really my my thing. I didn't really care about Eddie Guerrero at the time either. So this match is probably going to be my least favourite match on the card, and it's probably the match that I paid the least attention to. Um, just yeah, just just wasn't really into these guys. The European title was cool. I thought the European title was awesome, in fact. But, yeah, I think this... It, it was a nice filler match before the main event, but that was probably about it. As I said, no more backstage stuff. Now we basically go straight into the main event, which is your two-man power trip versus BOD. Winner take... It's not even a winner-takes-all tag match, because when they're announcing sort of... When they're talking about it on commentary... Yeah, it's a bit weird. So, before the match starts, we get an awesome video package where we've got the whole of like JR and Heyman shouting that Austin soul his soul and stuff like this, and and team the teaming up of Triple H and Austin. I mean, again, it's such a genius move. Uh, I mean, how do you turn someone heel? Like, really make them heel when they are that big of a face character? Have them side with Triple H and Mister McMahon, don't you? <laughs> it's, it's it's like the classic. Um, uh, I think, oh, what is it? Is it 2002? Rikishi comes out to, under like the direction of, of William Regal and is supposed to attack someone, I can't remember who, but he ends up super kicking William Regal instead and it just instantly turned him face. It's like, you pick your moments, you know the people you can you can pair up to make them heal or make them face, it's, it's great. Um, one thing I did pick up on, in the actual build-up to the match, there's a little line where The Undertaker says, who told Austin Triple H that beating up women and commentators made them badasses? 
I would like to point out that within the next 12 months, not only did Undertaker beat up JR, but he also beat up Lita. <laughs> Which are the two people who uh, Triple H and Austin beat up. <laughs> so it's, it, it's really funny that he's coming out with that line, only to then really it, it not really matter, if that makes sense. Um, so we get to the match itself. We've got the entrances. First thing they do is mess up Triple H's entrance by playing Shane McMahon's music over his. Like, I really hope that guy got fired. <laughs> um, of course, Triple H comes out with our uh, beloved pre-ops death. Although I don't think it's too far off because it's during the Alliance when they bring it up. So it's only maybe, what, two, three months before she gets her um, enhancements? So it's, so it's not... It's not a big window between that this all happening and, and the Alliance stuff. I know I mentioned it before, but Stone Cold comes out to Glass Shatters by Disturbed. It's so cool. I mean, that song introduced me to Disturbed. It was the first time I'd ever heard any of their music. Uh, I would later listen to um, Prayer, and that just got me into the whole, whole thing. I think I've seen them maybe about five times now live. Just... Absolutely one of my favourite bands. One of the things about Austin that I did like, the only thing he really did in his heel turn was he changed the colour of his knee braces. So they would either be like red or white. I think he had gold ones at one point as well. But that was it. In terms of how he looked, like he didn't really change anything. He just coloured his braces and it's like, ooh, he must be heel. It's very weird. Uh, for the BOD, Kane comes out first, clearly making out that he's hurt. He's got the bandage on the elbow, and they're talking about how he's hurt his elbow. Um, so I suppose at this stage, Kane is about 90% dangerous as opposed to 100% dangerous. I mean, 2001 is really when Kane was like actually scary. <laughs> like he, he wasn't as scary as he was in 97, but he was still very, very scary. One thing that did let uh, did really surprise me actually was the WWE Network was still playing "Rolling" by Limp Biscuit as Undertaker's entrance. Quite a lot of the time they've dubbed it out, and it's like you're you're going to pay music, or like one of the variations of that music he had at the time, as opposed to "Rolling." But they, for some reason on this show, it's actually there, so I was very surprised by that. So the match itself starts. BOD make a beeline for the ring, and of course, two man power trip make a tactical withdrawal. <laughs> um, and again, like I said, I, I don't really know if I ever really got the rules for this match. So, when the match starts, JR sort of basically says that if Triple H gets pinned, whoever pins him gets the IC belt. But if Austin gets pinned, whoever pins him gets the WWF belt. But regardless of which BOD member gets pinned, they lose the tag titles, which is fair enough. But there's no mention of whether the other person gets the other belt. So, for example, Kane pins Triple H, they win the IC title. Does Undertaker get the world title? And vice versa? You know, if Kane pins Austin, does he get the WF title and, Kane get, and Undertaker gets the IC? It's never really mentioned. It's kind of just talked about as if they're... It's essentially only one of their titles is going to go. Only the IC or the WF, not both. So it kind of, for me, took away a little bit of the danger of the 
the the winner take all kind of all the titles online kind of deal. However, I'm digressing, so I'm sorry. the The match starts off pretty much as you expect. The heels being heels, they they stay out of the ring. They they try and do the the the, the chicken shit and run away. And of course, Bod bring them back to the ring, and that's when sort of the match really gets started. Austin Triple H here make such a great team, and considering these guys have never really tag teamed before, they they, they really do it well. How you know the tagging in and out and just being heels, just being really sneaky, really, really, um, just really playing on the heel psychology of wrestling. The match itself had Kane in there. Obviously, they were they were. Sporting the injury angle to the elbow, I think that was. It kind of annoyed me at the time, but looking back, it builds in later on to a pretty good hot tag, and that's kind of what the point of that sort of thing is. They do a lot of taken up, really wanting to tag Kane in because you know he's injured and he doesn't want to get him hurt, but then reluctantly has to tag him in. There's a, a point where Kane tags himself in because Undertaker's getting his butt kicked. But of course then, two-man power trip target the arm. Classic in psychology arm. We get a good period of time with Kane basically being double teamed. I mean, Triple H even hits a pedigree, but then doesn't pin him, just tags in Austin. Which seemed really weird. I didn't really understand that myself. Um, You do get like... A little bit of interference from Undertaker at times. He breaks up a couple of pinfalls. He comes in and chokeslams Austin at one point. Yeah, like, eventually you get the hot tag. But then, of course, uh, Hebner doesn't see it. And Taker gets thrown out after hitting the last ride on Triple H as well. One of the things here that did annoy me was the fiend, the fiend Earl Hebner attacks our precious pre-op Stephanie. um, And pushes her off the ring apron. Just, I mean, he should have been fired just for that. Uh, oh god pre-op Stephanie that's so funny Um, he clears the ring uh, after hitting the last ride I said but then gets kicked out because Hebner didn't see the tag because everyone was distracting him of course again just this classic heel really working every angle to try and win and it's it's what's funny is you associate like Triple H and Austin you don't associate them as guys who would need to do that you know what I mean? Like, they're legitimately good in the ring. They wouldn't need to do that stuff to win. But they just do it, because they're bad guys, and that's what bad guys do. We get, essentially, Taker and Austin sort of fighting off into the crowd. Meanwhile, we sort of get left with Triple H and Kane. And the billion-dollar princess throws in the, the title belt for Triple H to use. Of course, Kane counters. And then the Kane, the vile human being... Again, attacks our beautiful pre-op Stephanie, which is reason enough they should lose the match. And of course, as they're describing father of the year, uh, Vince McMahon enters with a sledgehammer, uh, managed to pass it to Triple H, and of course he uses it on Kane. Ref gets back in uh, after Vince throws him in anyway, and we get the three count. (laughs) Uh, The show pretty much ends with Triple H and Austin walking to the back holding all the belts. I mean, what can I say? Two-man power trip for life. They 
just uh, just a great team. I thought they were a great team. I thought it was a shame that they ended with the way they did. It would have been interesting to see how they could have progressed it. Because obviously they were going to lose the tag titles that night. Triple H had lost the IC title the night before. Was that going to be Triple H Austin at maybe SummerSlam with maybe Triple H turning face? I don't know what the original plan was. Or maybe it was the plan all along. Triple H would lead the WWF. Austin would turn his back on him and join the alliance. Maybe that was the plan all along. Who knows? But um, like I said, what a match. It, it just had everything in you would expect from a match with these with sort of like top tier level people and in sort of pro wrestling. You had the heels playing cowards, faces being aggressive. You had faces getting beaten on by the heels. You had the hot tag. You had the cheating tactics, the big comeback, the ref bump, classic ref bump. You had outside interference, foreign objects. This literally squeezed in every trope and every every gimmick that they had during the Attitude Era of wrestling. <laughs> this this just. If they could, in fact, I'm pretty sure the only thing merely missing was some form of like table and, and ladder element. They pretty much filled every every heel esque trope, every every face esque trope. They 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 squeezed it all in to this match. Such a good, such a good show in, um, and I don't think it's aged badly at all. I think it's aged really well. The the men in the match were just awesome. I said you had Steph, Vince. Uh, Earl freaking Hebner, but yeah, absolutely great. I, I such a good show. Um, so that's really it for the end of the show. I said the the show closes. Triple H holding the IC and tag titles, doing his you know screaming malarkey. Great way to end the show. The faces are in the ring, just looking a bit defeated as they should do, because they did get beaten. Um, and yeah, and the heels walk out to victorious once again. So we'll go for a quick break. We'll come back. Just a brief final thoughts on the show, and then we'll uh, we'll call it a week. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Okay, so final thoughts. It's probably not much really to add. The couple of things I noted about the show: there wasn't any women's title match. There was a comment made. At the beginning, but I don't know how. I suppose it could be quite subjective where they basically said all the gold would be defended at Backlash. I don't know if that's maybe referring to just the main event because they managed to get the hardcore title on there. They managed to get the uh, the ice uh, the European title on there. Obviously, your IC World Heavyweight and Tag Team were in the main event, but they never actually had the the women's title um, on the show. In fact, there was no women's match on the card at all. Not on the main card, anyway. Um, Lita took on Molly Holly on Sunday Night Heat, but there wasn't any women's title involved in that. In fact, um, I think this was when China was... I think China was women's champion at this point. So I don't know necessarily what was going on there. Um, I'm not sure if it impacted the show. The women's title matches during this period of time weren't taken that seriously they weren't yet to the point where they would get where people were actually like oh my god this is awesome um, even though Lita and Molly Holly in a match is pretty much a, a dream match isn't it because they're both unbelievable wrestlers uh, I mean 
yeah, I don't I don't know if the show really misses anything because of it. The, the show is pretty pretty stacked regardless. The main event, yeah, okay, it's not a technical masterclass. It's not the same as the Duchess of Queensbury rules. You're not going to see the ultimate submission style. It there was a lot of strikes, but you've got four guys in there who are not necessarily as much Triple H, but definitely the other three are more known for their sort of striking than anything else. So, yeah, it wasn't a technical masterpiece by any means, but um, it got the point across in terms of what the match needed. Uh, Two-man Patrick, without a doubt, one of my favourite teams. I said, if not my favourite team of all time. It's just two absolute badasses just doing what they do and just smashing everybody with chairs. And <laughs> um, Like I said, it inspired me to do the two-man power trip when I got into WWE Raw Deal. As soon as I saw they had a superstar card, I already had some Austin stuff. I already had some Triple H stuff. I was like, yes, I am building... I am building that. <laughs> um, winning all the gold then just made them even cooler. As easy as that. I think it made sense for them to win as well. It wouldn't have made sense for the BOD to come out on top. Austin had just was pretty much fresh in the heel turn. That he needed that big win or that next level win, and and this was definitely it. I mean, the BOD aren't anything to be. You know, uh, trifled with you've got the undertaker you've got kane two guys who legitimately look scary as hell two man power trip yeah they're tough but th- there's there's them and then there's, there's there's kane and undertaker i think the match pulling out all the heel tropes you had chair shots title belt shots you had well actually i'm not sure there was chair shots in the last bit it was a sledgehammer shot wasn't it you had the belt coming in you had the outside interference from steph and from vince you know, the the classic cut the cut the weak link off and then eventually they get the hot tag. Of course the ref was distracted, so didn't see the tag, so he gets cleared out. Yeah, it just everything about the match was just awesome. The lower card, I think again it's one of those situations where you look back and you go, actually, that's a pretty it's a lot better than what I probably gave it credit for. I give all the credit really for this pay per view to the to the main event. But actually, you know what, that opener, although I'm not a fan of X-Factor, was, was really good. You then had the Duchess of Queensbury Rules match. You had the Ultimate Submission match. Both were absolutely amazing. The Last Man Standing was, was okay. The, the the Hardcore match was okay. The Triple Threat European title match was meh. But overall, if you wanted to you know, look at that as a, as a solid show, it, it, it definitely fits the bill. So... Overall, I do think this is probably one of my favourite pay-per-views of all time. And it, it's it's a stepping stone towards the invasion angle. Because obviously Austin's the heel and eventually you see that dissension between him and, and Vince McMahon. Because obviously, unfortunately, Austin gets injured and then Triple H gets injured and it's all all very horrible. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was the start towards that that invasion angle and and I think it's a great show. If, if if you've got the WWE Network I would, and you've never seen Backlash 2001, I would massively recommend it. Maybe even watch Mania 17 first and then watch Backlash. Um, I think it's a great show. So that's it for this week. Um, don't think there's anything else I want to get in on this, uh, this pay-per-view. I think a lot of it kind of speaks for itself. Again, if you haven't watched it, please, please go watch it. It's such a great show. Big Boss Book Club Instagram, Big Boss 010 on Twitter, Big Boss Book Club on Facebook. Um, Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'm Big Boss. I'm out. Peace.